it's uh, about 16, 17 after. We're going to go ahead and get started. I know we still got some folks trying to get through the restroom line and, and uh, get around where you need to get to. That's just going to be something that we're going to have to do for a little bit until we get our restroom situation remedied. I don't want to wait too late to get started on class. Got some uh, information to get started on to go over here. So uh, Don and I were talking, and Don asked me if I would mind to speak this morning or teach class this morning. Um, you know, Josh has had a little bit on his mind the last few days and give him a little bit of a break. <laughs> so I asked Josh this morning, I said, you're going to make an announcement? And he felt a little odd about that. So I said, I don't mind to mention it. I think I'll need to know. And, and uh, they both wanted you to know that he had uh, asked the question, and she said yes. So it's an exciting time. I know whenever they came back by the house yesterday, I think she was touching the ground about every three steps. So, uh, <laughs> so happy stuff. Have you heard this statement before made from the pulpit or made in Bible class? I've heard, I've heard folks make this several times, either in Bible class or a preacher from the pulpit. Christians should be the happiest people on earth. So I know whenever I heard that statement, especially the first couple of times I heard it, and I thought about it. Think about it, if you've heard that statement before, or you've heard somebody say that. What did it make you think about? What did you think when you saw that statement? What do you think when you see this statement this morning? Christians should be the happiest people on earth. I know what the people mean when they say this statement, and I understand it. But I think there's a flaw in the statement. The reason I say that is, is when I saw this statement or when I hear this statement or I see this statement, a lot of times my reaction is just to immediately think about myself. And the thing I think about is the last time that I was not the happiest person on earth. Maybe a time when I had a reaction or the way I felt about something or somebody was doing something that was different than I thought they needed to be doing and there had to be a hard conversation and I was not the happiest person on earth. And when I think about that, then that doesn't make me happy to think about when I was unhappy with somebody or I had to say hard things to them. So then I think about this statement and I think the very idea of saying this statement and telling people that they have to be the happiest people on earth because they're a Christian, where does that leave you with what you think about, how you feel about yourself? And is that true? Because we're Christians, do we have to be the happiest people on earth? I think the issue here with this statement is there's a fundamental flaw in it. Like I said, I think when people say that Christians are the happiest people on earth or they should be the happiest people on earth, they're not really talking about happiness. I think they're talking about joy. And it's a really different thing. Two completely different things that are often confused by the world and can be confused by those of us within the church. We need to know the difference between the two. So this morning I want to define the two statements for you. Happiness or being happy. Happiness is conditionally based. Happiness means that external things around you are going well, but that can change at any moment. It's important to understand that because there's going to be days that we can't possibly be happy. It's an emotional part of life. Think about Acts 16 when Paul and Silas were imprisoned. I didn't have this on my notes, but I thought about it this morning when I was sitting there thinking about that. And, and a lot of times people go to that as an example of Christians should be happy. They talk about Paul and Silas and when they're in the prison and they say they were praying and they were singing, they were happy. 
the folks that don't say they were happy in that verse. If you look at that verse, it says nothing about them being happy. It talks about that they were singing and praying and it says that the prisoners were listening to them. It says, but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and so the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. It doesn't say anything about them being happy. I'm convinced they were singing because they had joy, because they knew that the mission that they were completing or they were working on was God's will and that they knew God was happy with them. I think they had joy. I don't believe that was happiness. And another thing that I don't hear anybody say anything about is then the prisoners were listening to them. Why are we supposed to sing? We're supposed to sing teaching, admonishing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think that was the way that when they were imprisoned and shackled in the deepest parts that the rest of the prisoners could hear the teaching of the Lord. I think they had joy. So what is joy? Joy is a goodness that comes from inside you that sustains you when your circumstances around you are tough or bad, when your circumstances are unhappy. There may be days when we're unhappy, but we can still have joy inside of us because joy is never dependent on our circumstances. The joy we have as a believer, as a Christian, comes from God. It's knowing that we're at peace with Him. It's knowing that we're justified before Him that we're forgiven. It's knowing our future is in heaven. It's having an internal perspective not limited to circumstances around us. That's where we find joy. So an example, I guess, of happiness versus joy. And I know some folks are retired, some are still working, but also all of us as adults remember this concept. Friday afternoon rolls around, the weather's nice like it has been lately. You're working a job, maybe you like the job, maybe you don't. It's not really relative to the example. But the weekend's rolling around, the job that you've been working, the money hits the bank account, you got money in the bank account, bills are taken care of, you got some left. You're going to eat with your friends or your family or both at one of your favorite places. You, you know that feeling? Can you start to imagine that feeling that you have? The whole weekend's ahead of you. Saturday, you don't have obligations. You can do whatever you want. You got worship coming up on Sunday. I can think about that and I know that feeling makes you happy. Sunday night after worship, you get home. Bedtime's approaching. You got to get out clothes. You got to meal prep. You've got to get your cooler out or lay your stuff out or get ready for the next day. You're starting to think about that alarm clock that's going to be going off. And even if you're retired, you got stuff to do. I mean, everybody tells me that you're busier than you've ever been when you retire. So Monday rolls around, you got obligations coming again. You might still be happy, but Friday afternoon, money in the bank, going to eat at your favorite places like up here with a whole weekend ahead of you, and even if you're still happy, it's kind of down here. Joy doesn't bounce up and down because of those outward, outward circumstances. That's not something that joy controls or reacts to. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. First Thessalonians, first Thessalonians, first Thessalonians five sixteen. Where we're told to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, 
give thanks. Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice to the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in whom? He says rejoice to the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances because we can't always do that. Because if you're going to rejoice in your circumstances, then you're going to find difficult times along the way because your circumstances are constantly changing. But one thing we have to remember is that the Lord never changes. Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's something we can rejoice in because we can depend on that. He's not going to change on us like our circumstances. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, and I do not change. That's pretty matter of fact how He says that. So some things here about happiness. Happiness, it has been said, is like makeup. Joy is like character. Happiness is something that deals with the outside, but joy deals with the inside. Happiness deals with surface needs, but joy deals with the deepest needs. Happiness is like a thermometer. It registers conditions. Joy regulates conditions. Kind of like a thermostat. Happiness evaporates in times of suffering, but joy... Joy intensifies. How many of us have suffered and you just couldn't possibly be happy because you had some suffering happening in your life? But when you think about the fact that you have a Christian family like we have here, it's not happiness, that's joy. When we can know that we have the comfort of our brothers and sisters or we know that God won't leave us or God doesn't change or God is going to be there no matter what. But joy is important to have. You will never win another person to Christ with a sour disposition. So when I talk about this subject this morning, don't think that I'm going to give you a license or a freedom or any Scriptures to go away from here and walk around being a sad sack. My grandpa used to say, nobody likes a sad sack. If you're someone that's always sad and always down and always pointing out the negative, then people aren't going to want to be around you. And rightfully so, it pulls you down. People feed off of the energy that's around them. And it's okay to be sad sometimes, but it can't be every day. That joy has to pick you up and push you forward. If someone sees no difference in you as a Christian, then they're not going to want what you have. There's no incentive for it. They can be sad all on their own. If it's obviously had no effect on you, then your outward character will show that and they're not going to want what you have. Let's look at Psalms 51, 12, and 13. And we'll notice here in 51, 12, and 13, this is David writing, not only did he ask God to restore the joy of his salvation, but he asked for something else. In Psalm 51, beginning in verse 12, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now notice the next verse, then, then when you have returned the joy to my salvation, then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted into you. But not until the joy had been returned. I believe he was asking for that because he knew that if his countenance was low and his joy was not there, 
He wasn't in the relationship with God that he should be if he had lost his joy, his relationship with God. And people can tell that. So he said, return these things to me that I may teach others, may teach transgressors your ways. Joy is really the proof outwardly that we have an inward feeling and that our inward feeling is real. Joy is a proof outwardly or happiness or a good countenance is really proof outwardly that we have joy even in hard times. I've seen people experience things and it's like, you know, you see them and you, and you go to comfort them and you see a peace about them. You can't buy that. You can tell when somebody has deep, true joy with the Lord because it shows on them in hard, difficult situations. You can see that. And that doesn't mean that, it's, that you can't break down or, or, or fall or struggle or have those moments or days whenever you, you have a hard time and it's visible. There's two or three different stories I could tell you that I've experienced recently. I'll tell you one that's simple. It's quick. We were at a job site recently, and since COVID, it's been so difficult to get stuff brought out to the job site right. It shows up, stuff missing, it's broken. There's fork gouges in it from the guy that don't pay any attention with the forklifts. Lots of stuff you have to deal with with that. So our supplier comes out and we're talking about things and I'm not saying much and John's talking to him mostly and I'm not happy. I'm not happy that day because I'm tired of this. It costs time. It costs money. You have to tell customers things that they don't want to hear. You've got to wait for this. That didn't come in right. So Mike, our outside salesman, he's standing there and he said, man, Larry, don't take it so hard. And I said, take what so hard? He said, you look like you're taking it hard. And I said, I'm not happy. I said, I don't surely have to be happy about this because I'm a Christian. Because he and I have talked a lot. He knows. I said, I'm tired of stuff showing up like this. Y'all need to do better. If you get it to the warehouse, don't stick a fork in it. Don't drag it off the truck. Get it in here right. That's all I'm asking for. I don't think that's too much. And as a Christian, I don't think I have to accept that. I said, I can smile when I tell you, so let me smile. Get it here right. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, you know what? The next two or three times, it came out right. And there wasn't any fork gouges in it. Here's another thing. And this shows as a Christian. Brian Dawson's dad works for the same company and we all tried to get him to bring the stuff out because he don't stick fork holes in it. He sits it in the right place. He's kind when he does it. He's, he smiles. He's pleasant. He don't drive across stuff. And that's one thing that Mike told me as he was leaving. He turned around and he said, we can't send Dawson out here with everything. <laughs> the other guys have to bring stuff too. And I said, well, that's fine, but have him teach them got to be some solution. So even I'm not happy every day. As an elder, you can't be. It's not realistic. Joy is necessary to living the Christian life. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Having joy in God will give you strength to work through things that are difficult or hard. It will help you hold your composure when it's hard to hold your composure. It will help you shoulder devastating things in your life because you have joy with God. Nothing else will give you that. So here's the question. How can I have true Christian joy? We're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 5. How can I have true Christian joy? The first thing we want to look at, if you know the cleansing power of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the beginning of knowing true Christian joy. 
I realize most of you are Christians here this morning already, but this is a message that you can carry to the world around you where it can help you to understand the joy that you have within your heart as you are. Notice in verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things that are justified in peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. True Bible faith brings about something very special, and it's called justification. But what is justification? It simply means that I've been cleansed of my sins and now my record is clean. The Lord no longer holds me responsible for my sins. What this verse is saying, that once I reach the state of justification, then and only then can I have peace in my heart. So if you have peace in your heart from being justified by our Lord Jesus Christ cleansing, it's not hard to, hard to understand how that could be because the burden, the burden of sin is a big one to bear. Once you understand that you're in sin, that's a pretty big burden to bear and it's, it's hard to have that peace. Now, in the time that I've been a Christian, I feel like my relationship, I've fallen away from my relationship with Him at least a couple of times. I never quit going to church. I kept doing everything I was trying to do. But I didn't feel like I should feel here. That peace was not exactly there, and I had to struggle back. So for those of you that are Christians, which is most of you, if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you don't feel that peace in your heart, you've got to fix it. Sometimes it takes a way to work your way away from the Lord. And you can come back in a moment, but it takes prayer and effort and changing things. So if you're here this morning and you need to change some things, I encourage you to do that so that you can know this peace that you knew when you first became a Christian. Knowing that your sins for forgiven are forgiven will give you a deep, deep peace. Romans chapter 9 tells us that it's by Christ's blood that we're justified. You know, sometimes in the denominational world, Romans, Romans 5 and 1 says that we're justified by faith only. If you look at 5 and 1 here, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I meant to say was, a lot of times in, our, in our, our denominational world around us, they try to say that we're only justified by faith. And they use this verse to pull that out and say that that's how we're justified. But in verse 9, verse 9 it says, "...much more then, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him." So how do you connect those two verses? So we're justified by faith and we're justified by His blood. It takes us over to Romans 6. Verses 3 and 4. That's the connection. Here's the connection. Here's the link in the chain from being justified by faith and by His cleansing blood. We're buried with Him in baptism and that's where Christ shed His blood at in His death. So we're buried into His death through baptism and that's where we contact that blood and that's where a lot of times our denominational friends miss that point. That's the link. That's the missing link in the chain between those two thoughts. Luke 10 and 20. So the context here in Luke 10 around verse 20 
is the disciples had been out preaching and teaching and they came back and they'd had these experiences and they were excited about them and they wanted to mention to the Lord about their experiences. And then He tells them something that's important for us to know here. Starting in verse 19, it says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy. Nothing shall be able to hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So they had circumstances that were going beneficial for their way. Nothing could hurt them. They knew they could go out and they could preach and teach and they they wouldn't have harm come upon them. But he said, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice in the fact that you know that your name is written in heaven. That's important to have true joy. A second thing, or a second ingredient, is a confident hope. And how do we have a confident hope? I'm going to go back to Romans 5. Look again in Romans 5 and verse 2. It says, Also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of God. So that's something else that we can rejoice in. So we have to have a competent hope. That's the eternal perspective that I spoke about this morning when I talked about one of the things that we should have to have, let us have joy. It's an internal perspective, an eternal perspective that we're looking at where we're going to be able to spend eternity. And that trumps a lot of stuff. How many times as a Christian have you had real hard things happen in your life and you think, you know, I can do this. I can bear this. It's not that long. I can get through this because I know this isn't forever. This is not something that's going to happen forever, but I have a home in heaven waiting on me with God. That's that eternal perspective. And my rejoicing as a Christian should be anchored in that. It should come from knowing that I'm cleansed from my sins, and but secondly, I'm confident hope in the Lord. And now where do I get this hope? 1 John 5 and 13. This is a verse that I really like. 1 John 5 and 13, he wrote, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I used to be one of the people that used to say, I hope, I hope I can get there. I think I can. Or I hope it works out. Most of the time we don't leave on a trip thinking, I hope I can get there. You know, we have more confidence in that to drive a vehicle across the country sometimes. You should have more confidence in your salvation than a trip across the country. And there's a lot of things that can happen going across the country. And some of you may think, I hope I can get there when you travel. But I want to encourage you this morning to study the Scriptures, align your life with what you find there, and you can have a confident hope. Here's another thing. 1 John 1, probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I like it a lot. We'll read through these and explain them a little bit. And what I like about this one of my favorite lessons that I've ever heard Don preach is when he came to Willa and preached that, that uh, series there in January that time. And one of the things he preached was, you know, Lord, don't yank me in and out of the church. I get up, I say my prayers in the morning and I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Oftentimes we do that before we go to bed because it's on our mind. But we do that and we ask for forgiveness and we think, get things straightened out, I'm going to do better tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and we struggle. 
So when that happens, the Lord don't say, well, He's out. And then you get back home that night and you think about your day and then you pray again. And then He adds you back. That's not how that works. See what it says here starting in verse 1, that which was, and that's 1 John 1, that which was one from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word life. The life was manifest or made known, that's what that means, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or made known to us. That which you have seen and heard we declared to you. So he's saying we're telling you about Christ. We're writing this. He's writing this. And He's telling us about Christ that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. He don't say happiness. He's talking about joy there. You're going to be unhappy, but if you follow these things and you know these things and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have a confident hope and you've been cleansed by His blood, you're following these things and you look at these things and you say, hey, I'm doing that. Now your joy might be full. And he says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with Him, we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. Here it is. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he adds on, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. He says that twice. He says, y'all know you got sin. You know that. You know you're going to sin. You know you're going to make mistakes. You know you're going to fail. But if you walk in the light, if you study His Word, you fill your heart with His Word, and you walk by what you find in the Scriptures, you're walking in the light. You're doing what the Lord wants you to do. That's how you... He knows that you love Him if you do His commandments. And if you do that, we have fellowship one with another. And the Lord continually cleanses us of those sins. You don't fall in and out of the church. That's not how it works. Here's something else we've got to remember with this though. It's like doesn't give us a license to do what we want. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says this, if we continue to willfully sin... There is no more remission of sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. So see, like a lot of things, you've heard me say this before, life is about balance. Being a Christian is about balance. You've got to try every day, give it your best effort. It should be a growth. I don't care how old you are, you should still be growing. Or how young you are, you shouldn't think, well, I've gotten here, I figured it out. Or if, if you're some of the folks kind of in the middle there thinking you've arrived, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep, keep working and growing because it's about balance. First John tells us we're going to mess up the best we can do and we're going to sin, but His blood will continually cleanse us as long as we walk by His precepts. And it's going to be okay. Hebrews tells us that it's not a license just to go live how you want and God's going to cleanse you. It doesn't work that way. Balance is what that's about. A third ingredient to Christian joy is commitment. Again, back to Romans 5. Particularly, I want you to listen to the end 
of the verse here. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what that word means. Oftentimes we talk about the Lord and we know that we have to give Him reverence and, or we should give Him reverence. We, we, I think we understand on the surface what that means. The word Lord, but really let that sink in. If someone's the Lord, they're, they're the supreme being. They're the ruler over all. It's like the top. It's like you don't go further than that. Our commitment is to the Lord to be a Christian. And it should be a complete, all-in kind of commitment. We ought to relate our commitment to Him first as far as our commitment to how we live. It should be to Him first and everything else second. That's hard to think about sometimes. It's everything from something so small to, I don't know, sports or jobs or... I mean, all the way up to our spouses. He expects us to have a commitment between ourselves, between us and our spouses, that mirrors Christ's commitment to the church or our commitment to Christ as the church. That's a strong commitment, but we have one even further than that to the Lord God because we're subject to Him. If we have that kind of commitment, what are we going to do when we read something in the Scriptures and we think, oh man, I've been doing that. You're not going to think, well, His blood will cleanse me, I'll keep doing it. You're going to work at it because you know your commitment should be there. And if your commitment is there, then you start to get that joy when you look at the Scriptures thinking, well, that lines up. And you also know that if you find something that you're off-center on that you need to do better with, if you really have that strong a commitment, you know that God knows that because He knows their heart. And that will bring you joy because you know that the effort that you're putting into it, that God understands that. You're going to fail still and struggle. We all have things we struggle with. Sometimes people look at elders like they think, I got it figured out. Well, I don't. I'm still working on things. And I'm, still, I'm still trying. We're, we're just people. We're not the Lord by any means. But you know you have that peace because you're putting the effort in and you know that God is going to know that. You cannot have Christian joy unless you have full commitment to the Lord. Galatians 2 and 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. You think about what he's saying there. I am crucified with Christ. That's, that's kind of an ultimate thing to say that I'm crucified with Christ. So the fourth ingredient to true joy is the communion that we have with Christ. Romans 5 again, but we want to skip down to about verse 11. I'll start out with verse 10. It said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We were not able to be in a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ until we've experienced these other things, until we've become a Christian, our blood's cleansed, we're freed from that, and we're reconciled with Jesus Christ. We're put in a relationship with Him at that moment, and we know that we're reconciled with Him, so we have communion with Him together. That should give us peace. So remember I said in the beginning of the lesson, joy is not found in circumstances, but joy is found in Christ. It says here that we're reconciled in with Him, so joy is definitely 
be found in Christ. John 17 and 13. Jesus says in this verse, and, and now come, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus doesn't want us to be a hopeless people. He doesn't want us to be a pessimist, glass half full, or always looking for the bad things. Have you been around people that's always pointing out the negative? It's like some folks could walk in and there'd be so many good things, but they point out the one thing that's not. Well, there's a balance between seeing a problem and needing to solve it and that being the thing to look at all the time. No, God doesn't want us to be a pessimist. He wants us to have the joy that He has, and He says so here in this verse. First Corinthians 10 and 16 says that a communion is with the body of Christ. So when we gather around the Lord's table, you know, we've talked about that recently in the class that we got together and us men did and, and learned how to do things in a more efficient way. When we gather around the Lord's table, it's a very serious moment. It's a somber moment. And we think about everything that our Lord endured. And oftentimes we think about all that we know about the beatings He took, about you know, the crown of thorns pushed on His head, the blood that was spilled, the scourging, the disrespect, the spitting... They came and took him out of the garden in the middle of the night. It was cold that night. We learned that from studying that. It was cool out. We don't know how he was clothed. So much disrespect and so much mistreatment in our Lord. And we think about all those things when we surround the table to learn about those things and to think about those things. And we think about that death that he experienced. But it's also a joyful moment because without that moment and without that sacrifice and without our ability to have this communion with God, there is nothing else. Everything else we've talked about up to this point doesn't exist. And we would be left with nothing here but what's on earth. The circumstances that we have or whatever happy we could get each day. So the communion is the fourth ingredient that's super, super important. So I'm actually going to finish a little early today. That's a good thing, I think. Wednesday night, I was really trying to cram it in. I got to talking really fast there toward the end. When I got back to my seat, Gina said, you tired? And I said, no. She said, I'm tired. <laughs> I was talking so fast and I was getting tongue-tied because I ran out of time and I purposely today was trying not to do that. So I want to sum up what we've talked about. If you're looking for joy, true joy can only be found in Jesus Christ. You might find temporary happiness in things here on this earth, but that's all it's going to be. It's nothing but temporary happiness. And that's one of the things... It's hard for me to understand about folks that don't want to become a Christian or don't care about the Lord and trying to live a Christian life because what you get here, that's kind of what you're going to get. So if you're here this morning and you've got something in your life that's preventing you to have the joy that we've talked about, I want to encourage you. We'll study with you. We'll help you. You know, it said that if you confess your faults or confess your sins and His blood will cleanse us, and we walk in the light as He is in light, and we have fellowship with one another. We have that fellowship. That's what it's for. God understands that. So don't leave here. Don't leave here hurting or struggling or not having the joy that you ought to have. Let us help you. I know that sounds like an invitation, but I want you to understand that we don't care to, we don't care a bit 
doesn't mind at all to study with you and help you whatever's hindering that. So to reiterate, it's the cleansing power of blood of Christ, the confidence in your salvation and study yourself till you have it. The cleansing blood, the confidence, the commitment to the Lord like you should have and it'll weed out the things in your life that you shouldn't have in the way and it'll give you that communion that will give you that peace and contentment and joy.